Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You only have your construction costs, but you're getting a full two condos for free. Yeah. So I always recommend people when you're doing a condo conversion, seeing if you can get a variance for it to increase the number of units in the building, because that's going to be your buffer. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hi, best of our listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks. And today we will be speaking with Preddy Tarari. Preddy, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to our conversation and learning more about your real estate business. So all about Preddy. He started as a buy and hold investor in college and then transitioned into becoming a real estate developer focusing on condo conversions. Currently, he has over $100 million in real estate assets. He is based out of Boston, Massachusetts, and you can say hi to him at www.thetawarigroup.com, and we'll have that link in the show notes. So, Freddie, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely, man. I think you did a good job with the intro. My background actually started in entrepreneurship, mostly focused on acquiring and selling underperforming small businesses. So basically anything from barbershops, to small restaurants, to cafes. That's I, I got into that while I was in college, helping out a couple of friends of mine, just kind of got sucked into that. And from that, I started getting into real estate and buy and hold and mostly focusing on multifamily properties Around the Boston area, as many people know, it's a huge college town. So focusing quite a bit on the college areas, multifamily properties. And I kind of phased from that into becoming a real estate developer, developing apartment buildings right now. So it's kind of this up and down trajectory and kind of the scale that I've definitely seen. But I'm going to talk about this a little bit today, but they're all pretty much interconnected and using pretty much no real formal education in the space or a lot of experience and figuring ways how to leverage kind of my background and small business into the space, man. 
Great. I'm looking forward to diving into that. But before we get into that, a lot of people, when they first hear about real estate, they want to jump right in right away. And for some of them, they're in college. And I'm sure a lot of people listening, at least me in particular, when I was in college, I had no right investing in real estate based off how I was in college. I'm just curious, how were you able to balance going to school full time? And you mentioned, it sounds like you were also doing some other investing in businesses. How were you able to kind of balance all of that while you were in school? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think the hardest part with the balance was I didn't know where I'm going to, number one, find capital to do all this stuff, but also the time to manage all this. I went to college and I went to law school while I was kind of building all this stuff in real estate. And the biggest thing for me, man, was to build a killer team that I could rely on. And I think that if you have a killer team that you can rely on, can propel you to do things that you can't do by yourself. Because I was at a point where I was like a workhorse. I'm going to put hundreds of hours a week and I'm going to go all in. And I recognize that at the end of the day, man, there's only one of me and there's only 24 hours. I can't stretch out the day more. So at that point, I changed my mindset a little bit and I started leveraging other people that really knew what they were doing and really working together with them and creating an incentive structure, which I'll get to in a bit. And that was a big game changer for me that allowed me to go to school, keep my academics going, but also really focus a lot on real estate where I would look, these are my skill sets. This is what I have, but I also don't know everything. And I think a hard part for a lot of young people, they're like, man, I feel super underskilled. I feel like I'm a kind of an outsider. I feel like I don't know what, what I'm doing, but I think where they go wrong is they let that consume them. And I think if you take another approach, which is, which you say, you know what, I'm going to own up to it. Like I don't know everything and that's fine. Instead of waiting until you get all the experience. And I was kind of like many college students, I was a little impatient. So I had this philosophy. I was like, look, there's not enough time for me to get all the experience. It will take me forever. So I was able to tap into a network of people, whether it's brokers, whether it was contractors, whether it was architects now that were just able to help me out. And that alone propelled me to grow at a really rapid level. But you have to be humble about it and you have to admit you won't know everything and that's okay. And then you have to be okay with asking for help. And I think many of us are sometimes super hesitant to do that for a variety of reasons. So that was that just asking people for help and building a team around me and what I wanted to do, that alone was a big game changer that allowed me to really go from just managing one income producing property that was taking all my time to really scaling it because I recognized that I needed the help. Did you face any challenges when you were reaching out to these people that you wanted to bring on your team since you were a young guy, still in college, didn't really have much experience? And, and if so, how did you overcome that challenge? Yeah, it's super difficult, but it's also not super difficult. So here's the thing about networking. I recognize early on, a lot of people don't even try. We think like things are super difficult. Why is that broker going to respond? Why is that contractor going to respond? And the, the truth is they might not. But you should still try. I noticed, dude, if I was sending out messages or DMs or emails to people, a lot of them would actually respond. As crazy as it may sound, a lot of them would give me time in their day to actually meet with them and to speak with them. And the biggest thing that you have to do is you have to convey interest in your passion, but you also need to make sure that there is an incentive structure tied for them in the process. So I think this is another thing I see quite a bit now. People think of networking like, I need something, let me network right now. But networking is a process. It's an ongoing thing. And it will rarely work. I need A. So I'm going to look for people who have A and they'll give it to me right away. It's like, I don't need anything. I'm going to network with people. And when I need it, maybe in two, three, four years from now, I can call up to them because we have built that relationship. So one of the things that I was doing when I was an entrepreneur in, in, in college, I build relationships 
with a couple of brokers, with people in the area that were in real estate. So when I started getting to that space, it was a little bit easier because I'd built those connections. But yes, it was difficult to get a foot in the door. But the biggest thing was just trying and going for it and understanding, look, if they don't respond, it's not the end of the world. But you have to try. Most people don't. Tell us a little bit about this incentive structure that you mentioned it a few times. What was this incentive structure that you, you offered to these team members? So there's a couple of ways and I'll take it right now, like what I do even now in development. So I wasn't kind of in the buy and hold, like a lot of people are doing using the cash out refi strategy. And I really wanted to scale. And one time my broker was like, Freddie, you should start developing stuff. And I was like, man, I don't know what that is. He was like, don't worry about it. You figure it out. And I knew going in that I didn't know it's a whole different ballgame. You're not like managing people's like day-to-day calls about, you know, plumbing isn't working. Real estate development means a plot of land. You go for permitting. It's this whole process. So what I did was that I always ask for referrals from people that I know from each other. So I never bring anyone from my own team. And what that basically means is my broker said, okay, I think you can do real estate development. I was like, all right, I had a couple architects that I knew, but I didn't go to them. I went to my broker. I was like, okay, well, do you know an architect that can help me? He was like, yes, I do. So he connected me to the architect. And I asked the architect, do you have a GC who can help me? He connected me to the GC. So what I'm doing is I set up a whole system that everyone's tied to each other. So if my GC, which happens all the time in real estate development, they don't show up or they don't do a good job or if he runs away, well, guess who's going to be feel the heat? It's my architect. And if my architect isn't responding, guess who's going to feel the heat? It's, it's the broker. So because everyone's tied to each other, the progress that I'm making on my projects, everyone else is winning along the way. So what I never do is I never be like, I'm going to bring my architect. I'm going to bring my GC and they're not tied to each other. Because in real estate, you're dealing with subs, right? Everyone's subbed out, but all the subs are related or tied to each other in one or the other ways where their jobs and their job securities is tied to doing a good job. And I look at it from a a futuristic standpoint where it's like, if this job doesn't go well, there's going to be no more other jobs coming. And my broker knows that, hey, if we don't do a good job, we don't make money in this project, Freddie's not going to work with me. So he wants the architect to do well and the architect wants the GC to do well. So setting up this incentive structure helped me tremendously because that was the first thing I heard so many people speak about. Hey, I'm doing a fix or flip. I'm doing a development. My property manager kind of screwed me over. My GC screwed me over. And I wanted to avoid that all along. I've always built my business around what can go wrong and having plan Bs around that all the time. So I knew that this could go wrong. So the way I set it up is I don't know much about this stuff, but other people do. So, but if they go, I'm screwed because there's asymmetry. They have all the information I don't. So I need to make sure they're tied to the long-term plan for the project and for my long-term success. And I did that by tying everyone together. And that's always been my strategy. And I always use the same guys now and I always use the same broker. So it's been many, many, many deals now. And that's worked wonderfully for me. That's a very interesting and powerful strategy that I'm definitely going to take advantage of in my business. It's, It's a good idea. So transitioning a little bit, you said you started off real estate wise doing the buying holds and then you transitioned into the developing specifically condo conversions. Why did you decide to make that transition? Honestly, man, it was just kind of the, it was a new challenge. I came into the space and you know, the buy and hold and I was an outsider in the space. And this goes back to, again, a lot of people say, well, I'm an outsider. I don't know anything, but I think being an outsider, you have an advantage, which you can see things other people don't. So I came in the space and a lot of people are like, how can we increase rents? They would fix, fix up the kitchens, they would fix up the floors. But I realized that my customer, they were college students and college students that I was talking to didn't really care about which countertops they were using or how everything was looking. 
And I was like, you know what they care about? They care about technology. So basically I bought iPads and I bought a lot of automation equipment for, wasn't very expensive. And I put it on all the homes. I didn't fix anything in the home and the rents went up because that's what my customer cared about. So building your product for what your customer wants and what you think the market thinks is important is vitally important. So I did that. It was a super success. So in all the projects that I had around college campuses, the only thing I ever did was install technology and the rents went up. So I did that for a bit. And after that, I was like, I need a next challenge because everything was kind of automated and systemized. And that's when my broker was like, Craig, I think we're ready for a next challenge. Let's start developing stuff. And it's a whole different strategy. It's super hands-on. It's definitely not passive. You have to be at your project sites pretty much all the time. But it was really for a different challenge because business is about, I believe, about setting up systems and being able to automate a lot of things. And I felt that I was able to accomplish that to a large degree in my area where I wanted to be. And then this whole kind of conversion developing was a whole new challenge that I wanted to take on. And it's very different. There's no cash flow. It's you make everything at the end. So you will go a long periods of time where there's just a cash outlay and cash outflow. So you're very good with numbers. You're very organized. I'm very glad though. I didn't do it right off the bat. I did buy and holds. And I grew slowly with that because it laid the foundations for me to do other bigger projects, which I'm doing right now, but it's all purely for the challenge. Nice. So how are you finding your condo conversion deals? Most of the time right now, the way I find it, there's a couple of neighborhoods here in Boston that are really up and coming. And most of the time what I go is I do the things that most people don't want to do, which is I knock on people's doors and I talk to the owners and I just have a conversation and I let them know, Hey, I'd be interested in in buying your property down the line. If you'd ever be interested, let me know. But that's pretty much, I do that. And my team does that all the time. So it's more than just finding stuff on MLS or sending out flyers because they get so many. It's all the human interaction, the human touch. And I don't even do calls. I'll just knock on their doors and do that several, I mean, hundreds of doors. And dude, now and then every few months, like once a year, you know, people would want to sell their properties. And that's always been a winning strategy. But also looking at the properties from the inside for a condo conversion, which is turning a multifamily into a condominium, it needs to have certain characteristics for it to be able to be a condo conversion. So you need to make sure what I always do, if there is a open house or if I can inspect the property, I never go there by myself because for me, it's pointless. I'm a developer. I know some stuff, but I always go there with my entire crew. When I used to go to open houses in the beginning, I'd have my architect, my engineer, my GC, my broker, and me. It was a five-person crew that would go in there to all the open houses. So that way it was very efficient because a lot of times you look at properties for rentals is totally different because you can kind of make out what you can get for rents, but for condo conversion, I need to know if we tear down X amount of walls, but is it going to cost? Is there enough space here? Is the ceiling height going to be big enough? And I can't see all of that. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, going in there with the team, that's a much better approach. And I've seen this quite a few times, especially in Boston, because the market's super hot. So you go to open house and you have like two or three days to really make a decision or it's gone. I see a lot of developers and a lot of guys, young people that are trying to get in there, go there by themselves. And then they have to call their broker or they have to call someone else and do all their due diligence. I don't want to waste time. So I go with a full crew every time that I see it. I never go there by myself because I don't know all the technical details. So all of it right now is knocking on doors, building personal relationships in the area, and then also making sure that my entire team vets it before I even go into any depth about financing, anything like that. So you said that, the kind of conversion projects typically need to be multifamily properties. 
So are you knocking on the doors at the actual multifamily properties or are you finding the owner and then going to their house and talking to them? Yeah, it's a mix of both. A lot of times we have here in Boston because it's an older town. So it's a lot of families that live there for generations. So usually what you have is the whole family will live in each unit for a multifamily property. So mm-hmm. that's very common here. But oftentimes I reach out to the owner and I'm like, hey, I'm just passing across here. I just want to have a conversation. But especially for a lot of the areas that are gentrifying, I think what happens where people go wrong is because they approach it super aggressively. And mm-hmm. you know, if you go there super aggressively, have a suit, people just don't like, <laughs> they don't like that. They feel like you're trying to screw them over and then you get all the bad images. Like for me, mm-hmm. man, I'm just a young dude. I'm kind of laid back and I just have a conversation with them and I'm not there to screw them over or kick them out or any of this crazy stuff. I totally understand. I come from a big family. I totally understand the value of living in a place and growing up in that. And I totally understand that. And it's just a conversation if they're interested and also making sure that I can help them. So a lot of them maybe need help with a bunch of random stuff in their place that they need to get cleaned out. Maybe they need legal help. A lot of them don't want to pay commission to their broker. So I'll pay for it. So being creative with it will go a very long way because at the end of the day in business, man, we can have all the numbers, but you're dealing with people. So people have to like you. I think a lot of times that gets lost when we're so numbers driven. And at the end of the day, it's just another person that you're talking to. Like, and that's someone's uncle, father, sister, brother, mother. It's just another person. So if you're willing and understanding their problems and their situation, if you're willing to generally help them out with it, I think it's always a good thing to do. I've always found that to be very successful. Do you mind walking us through a deal that you've recently completed, how you found it, what the business plan was, and then maybe some of the numbers? Yeah, I'll give a pretty straightforward. This was a smaller deal that we recently did. So this was a deal in East Boston. East Boston is an area right around the airport that was just kind of abandoned. Like this whole town was part of the Boston zip code. Boston's real estate market to East Boston was just kind of this immigrant neighborhood that people weren't really focusing attention on. This past year really started to grow. And basically I had a broker who's a buddy of mine and he said, hey man, we should probably look at East Boston. There was a developer who was developing basically one big building, had two sides, He was trying to sell me one side completely finished, but we weren't able to agree on a price. So I kind of let that deal go. And then one of the guys that owned the building right next to it, the family had owned it since early 1900s. It's a pretty fairly decently sized building. I think it's about 6,000 square feet. It was about two to three units only there. So it's fairly big and a small amount of units. And he was just walking outside. Now we were just having a conversation. He was telling me about the neighborhood, what's all going on. And I was like, hey, man, if you're ever thinking about moving, I'd love to talk to you. Same thing like I just mentioned. He was like, yeah, I'll definitely keep you in mind. And long story short, two weeks later, he ended up calling me. He said, hey, his mom also lived there. She's getting really sick and we're thinking about leaving. So me and him started talking and chatting. And I know I went in there with my crew and I saw an opportunity. Basically, there were two units in there. I believe because of the size and the space that we could turn that into four. It's a process in Boston where you have to ask for variance and basically work with permitting. But long story short, we were able to close on that property in about a month or two. He needed help with moving his stuff. He needed extra time and buffer. He needed some cash to buy one property. His other property that he was buying in the middle, he needed some buffer. So I helped him with that. It was basically trying to solve all his problems that he had from moving to timing, totally working with him through the whole process, building a relationship in the beginning. Then once he moved away, immediately we were actually to, able to successfully get a permit to build four units in there. So basically we got two units for free. Uh, we didn't pay for those two units. So we got two units for free, which ends up being a big windfall for us. But I knew that we could do that because I had my attorney pull some permits, think about it, look at it before we even close. 
So by the time he and I met for the first time, I had my team do a lot of due diligence. And right now we are still developing that property. It should be done end of July, early August. And it's going to be four luxury condos and what we're doing, something different again, because that's been my signature. We don't have parking in this spot. So a lot of people don't always like that. But what we did is we partner up with Uber and Lyft. And what we do is that anyone who lives in our condos gets to use Uber or Lyft for free as long as they live there when they leave from the condo. So they don't need that parking, which is included in the condo fee. So that's kind of the process that that's been in there. But it's really about building that relationship, which was huge. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. It was very interesting. How much did you buy it for and how much did you put into it and how much do you expect to make on that property? So we paid 970000 for it. It was listed at over a million, but basically right even before he put it in the market, I was the first person he called and he said he was thinking about selling for about a 1.1, 1.2, but basically we went back and forth and he agreed on the 970. We did finance that completely cash. And then I think the total of the construction right now it's a little shy of 900000 that we put in the construction. And then the sellout, because it's four units, they're going to be luxury units, so anywhere from eight to 900000 each. So we're trying to be shy of 3.5 to 3.4. So the total net in these is anywhere from 1.5 to maybe shy of $2 million. And this is, of course, the Boston market, which tends to be pretty lucrative at this time. Yeah, that's impressive. So almost doubling your money. Yeah, it comes mostly because you buy a two family and you make a four. So you get two condos for free. Maybe mm-hmm. you live in Boston if you got a condo for free. Right now we're paying about $200 a square foot, 250 a square foot to build. So you only have your construction costs, but you're getting a full two condos for free. Yeah. So I always recommend people when you're doing a condo conversion, seeing if you can get a variance for it to increase the number of units in the building, because that's going to be your buffer. You can make money if it's a three units, but it's going to be very tight sometimes. So if you get another condo in there where you didn't pay for, that's going to be your massive buffer. And it works out for everyone. I mean, he bought that was a hundred plus years ago. It was like 40 or 50,000 or something, you know, everyone wins in this project, but it's building that relationship, but also knowing what you're going to get into at the end of the day, it is the numbers games. And yes, it's a fantastic deal, but it's also the, the market, but also making sure that you can go for a variance. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they're afraid of dealing with the city and the town hall and the, the neighbors meetings. But I really enjoy that because I like talking to people. I like to understand, hey, man, what were their issues? So I was not afraid to talk to the town about getting an extra two units and ended up being super successful as far as we got the permit fairly easily. Because a lot of people are scared of doing that, but I welcome the challenge. Pretty, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? The best real estate investing advice ever is that it's okay to not know everything. You don't have to know every single thing about real estate. I meet quite a few young people that constantly ask me about which books to read, which resources to go to, which courses to take in college. I love all those resources. I love all the podcasts. I love all that. But at the end of the day, the people that win in life are the people who take action. All the talent, all the skill, it will always pale in comparison to action. So if you don't know everything, that's totally fine because there's plenty of people out there in the world who are there that do know the things that you don't. And what your goal is to find a way that they can help you. And that should be your obsession as opposed to trying to learn everything all the time, because what that's going to do is that's going to lead to procrastination. So I'm here on this podcast today and able to build real estate and and, and financial freedom is just because I went for it. I don't think that any special gifts or talents or business acumen at all. I just, there's a challenge. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And if I don't think I can do it, I will find other people that can help me get there. Prodi, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, man. 
All right, first, a quick word from our sponsor. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more. All right. What is the best ever book you've recently read? The best ever book that I've recently read is Built to Sell. It's a book that talks specifically about how to systemize businesses. And I've written another book that I paired with it, which is a very famous book, Principles by Ray Dalio. But it talks about systemizing and finding principles in everyday occurrences. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? Start another one. How would you start over today if you had little or no capital? Build better relationships. What is the worst deal you've done? The worst deal that I have done is where I didn't do my homework on the tenants. That was a big mistake. I didn't know the product was in a college area, which ended up being down the line, ended up being profitable in the beginning. It was a nightmare. I remember I had the tenants in there and ended up being Section 8 tenants. And while it was great, but it was a huge nightmare, a lot of legal battles. I just didn't know the product that I was getting into, nor did I understand the tenant pool. So big mistake of mine. And then lastly, what is the best ever place to reach you? Actually, the best place to reach me is actually through Instagram. So if you look me up, Prady Tawari, P-R-A-D-Y, and the last name Tawari, T-E-W-A-R-I-E, you can usually reach me through DM. That's probably the best way to reach me. All right, Freddie, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and speaking with us about your real estate journey. Some very powerful information just to summarize what we discussed. So we talked about how you were able to start your investment journey while you were in college and not really knowing how you'd pay for these deals and how you had the time to actually complete these deals. And your solution was to kind of build a great team to rely on. You talked a lot about your strategy behind building a team. First and foremost, you're going to be underskilled when you're starting out, but don't let that be the reason why you don't do anything. Instead, own that and then focus on how to solve that problem, which is, again, to create this team. One specific strategy that you talked about is your networking strategy. So when you were ready to, for example, transition into condo conversion, you didn't go out and try to find individual team members that had no relation to one another. You started off with one, the broker, and then from there, you asked them for a referral. And then from that referral, the architect, you asked for a referral from them. That way, everyone is connected. There's that alignment of interest and everyone is going to win along the way and everyone's in it for the long term because of that incentive structure and because everyone is connected. Uh, we talked about why you decided to go from the rentals to the kind of conversions. And essentially, it's just because it was kind of the next challenge for you and you wanted to try your hand at something else, essentially completely different than the rentals. You did provide a really strong piece of advice about your rental property strategy when you were doing it, which was focusing on puts the fact that you were an outsider using that to your advantage and realizing that you had a different point of view. And while everyone was figuring out what types of kitchens and types of flooring to put in these homes for college students, you instead knew that college students actually cared about technology, not how nice their kitchen was. So rather than fixing things, you just bought iPads and some automation. The other example was your Uber and Lyft example. 
talked about how you found your condo conversions and you are doing that through knocking on doors and actually talking to the owners in person. And sometimes it's a quick deal, like the example you gave when the turnaround was two weeks, other times it might not be for months or for years. And then we went through a specific example of a deal that you're currently working on. That was the one that was actually two units and you were able to convert it into four condos. So you got those two condos for free. And because of that, you're going to hopefully net around 1.5 to $2 million on that deal. And one of your kind of value adds for that deal was figuring out how to solve the problem for the owner. So you help them move their stuff out. They need to help with cash to buy another property. And they had some flexibility with the closing date. And then lastly, you provided your best ever advice, which was something you live by, which you don't need to know everything to get started. It's more important to take action. As you said, the people that win in life are the people that take action. So Freddie, I really appreciate you coming on the show again today and talking with all of us and providing your best ever advice. Thank you to everyone who listened. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Hey man, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. What if you could earn 10,000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Guarino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.